Sleepy Computer. Hi, and uh, welcome to Sleepy Computer. Um, for today's episode, uh, we're doing a children's story. Mm. There's a few different ways of like interpreting that. We thought about maybe doing an actual like illustrated children's book, but we think what we want to do is a story that's appropriate. Well, well, aimed at children, maybe not appropriate. Um, so something that's still a short story, but it's kind of like a fantasy story that a child might read or be interested in. Yeah, um, and that that was requested to us on Twitter. So if, if you've got an idea for a story that you want to pitch to us, uh, do tweet us at sleepy underscore computer and we can turn it into an AI story. Uh, we're joined today by Kieran, who's going to help us out with some of the voice acting. Uh, and uh, we'll just crack on, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. Let's get on. Uh, we I generated a few possible titles, but there was one that took my fancy. The possible titles for children books we had were Humpback Jack and the Mystery of Who He Is, mm. um, My Little Prince and His Amazing Puffy Master, and then Mushroom King, exclamation mark, and What's in a Little Green Bag, and then A Little Bit of Christmas. A little bit of Christmas. Just a little, just a touch of Christmas, just a touch. A sous-son, yeah. if you will. Yeah, well, so I, it was Humpback Jack and the Mystery of Who He Is well, that really is. caught my attention because I just feel like already I know something about this character, presumably that he has a humpback, um, like a whale. It really, it does paint you a full picture. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's the goal of literature, in my mm. mind, is is to paint a picture with words. So we've we've already done that with the title um so this is humpback jack and the mystery of who he is by harry carp and john gronsfeld illustrated by bob hope bob hope he's back <laughs> back from the dead he's back from the dead he's big in illustration now wow watch out he's coming he's coming up on you you gotta watch out um cool right let's crack on then chapter one Jack stands naked behind a fire, his legs spread apart in what seems like a battle of strength with his enemies. I mean, already... Strong start. Like a naked protagonist <laughs> in a children's really, book. Yeah, it's not really a children's... <laughs> it's not what I'd expect I, from the first line of a children's book. But, you never know, it might be completely wholesome. He might be naked in like a lost boy's way, right? Maybe just, yeah, you know... Maybe a loincloth. Or he's like a Kendall, doesn't have genitals. <laughs> Um, okay. Why did you say genitals like that? I don't know. It's just <laughs> genitals! A, genitals! Yeah, okay. Maybe he doesn't have any Italian genitals. Maybe. Um, <laughs> he's standing so tall. In fact, he's wearing a pair of shorts made out of the back of a horse. Leather, leather. Okay, there yeah. we go. Jack's pronounced humpback is covered in long, dark hair and glistens in the moonlight. I don't like that it glistens. It must be wet. Oh. Like an, like an otter. Oh no, he must smell awful. It says Jack is just like any other boy, except he's not a boy, he's a man, and he's an outcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, apart from those two exceptions, <laughs> he's not a boy and he's not like all the others. He's the same as every other boy. The village he's in, called Pembroke, oh, which exists... Yeah, uh, is a town with a large population of Irish and British immigrants and a great number of Irish kids in particular. Hmm. They could be the most popular kids in town, but Jack doesn't fit in, or at least never gets comfortable enough to be accepted by them. They tease him about three things. He's a bit tall, a bit awkward, <laughs> and he has a colossal humped back covered in hair. <laughs> the, 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 class, the trifecta of bullying, isn't it? I like that Like uh, the colossal humpback is third on the list of things he's bullied about. That is, I mean, yeah, it's, it's ramping up. Like, I mean, if there's a tall kid, 
Of course you're gonna. Yeah, you're gonna bully the toolkit. If they're awkward, of course you're gonna bother them. Completely reasonable. If they have a colossal hump on their back and it's covered in hair, and everyone seems to know that it's hairy. Does he walk around in the nude then? Well, so far. He probably finds it hard to get t-shirts that fit properly, so... Oh, that's such a good point, isn't it? He'd need to wear, like, maternity wear backwards. (laughs) (laughs) His best friend in the world is named G.I. Merton, and they first met to play football together a few hundred metres away on Christmas morning in 1989. Since then, Merton had been the only one who had been brave enough to be seen with Jack. There is a social norm on boys that everyone should not know humpback men. (laughs) (laughs) And their bon appetit ways. (laughs) Now, Now, hold on. What what behaviour constitutes a bon appetit way of life? uh, In my head, it's someone that's always making, like, little little French pastries. Ah. Like, um... I just think it's someone who eats in a French way. (laughs) Merton was the same age as Jack, only one year older, at 23. They spent their days going on excursions, which can be booked at some airport lodgings, to see all the sides of England, such as Iceland and the International Museum of Ice Dancing for children in the English Midlands. <laughs> it's niche. Niche museums is a passion of mine. Ice dancing, though. Ice dancing. That, that it was a skill. But only for children in the Midlands. Of course. That's where it was developed. Jack dressed, thank God. And covered his hump. I like how he had to cover his hump separately, so I guess... The dressing. Oh, so maybe he's cut like a slit, a back slit in all of his clothes. So he oh. dresses, then he sets to work on the hump. He's just got like a hat on it. Yeah. He's got a jaunty little hat. Like a fez. Ooh, a back fez. <laughs> back fez, yeah. It's an option, it's an option, isn't it? Jack dressed and covered his hump. Finally. Before shouting to Merton. Merton, what are we going to do today? Should we go to the beach? Should we go to the zoo and chase the tiger whilst drinking all the alcohol in West England? Perhaps we'll go to London again and get thrown out of the House of Commons for being a stupid boy. Oh, Merton, I do wish people would stop telling me that I am a stupid hairy guy. Curse this hump. It leaves me feeling horribly pathetic and sad. People are so inconsiderate about my life and about me, and it just makes me want to cry more. I'm tired, and I want to leave the city I love so I can come to Scotland to have a big meal of fish with some good folk who haven't seen my hump yet. Then I could get drunk with no problem, spend the rest of the day looking like a dorky fat cat made of gold. Oh, I want that. <laughs> well, that's... that's <laughs> I mean, that's, are, that's... That's what we all want. That's, that's what everybody wants. That's, I mean, there's so much to go through here, but I guess... Uh, I mean, he obviously is just very upset about... I mean, obviously he's been thrown out of the House of Commons, which is pretty normal. Uh, Who hasn't? Who hasn't at this point? Merton looked up from his beer and was about to speak when he started shaking his head as he thought about how misguided his friend was into the idea that the hump was actually bad. Merton had always admired the British artist Gertrude Clee for his work on people with back ups. (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear. And ever since, the hump had fascinated him, especially in profile. (laughs) He was secretly jealous that he had no back humps of his own, and he would give anything to get a full back hump. Okay, we're getting into the specifics of it. So, Merton wants a hump. He wa- he's got what can only be described as hump envy. He desires <laughs> a back hill. Yeah, he wants, he wants his own back hump. He thought about what he would like to do that day, and it was between spending another day looking into the fire or visiting his aunt and getting some fish from her home in Scotland. What is it with Scotland and fish? Yeah, I think it's it's hitched onto an idea. And it's always fishing! It is always <laughs> Whenever fishing. Whenever fishing comes up. 
The, do you know what my actual theory behind this is? Is It's trained on like internet discourse. I think there's a lot of fishing forums. So I bet the AI knows like a lot about fish. So whenever fish comes up, it's like, oh, I know about this. I'm going to talk about fish. But there's forums for everything. Like, Yeah, yeah. Okay, true. Maybe there's just one in the data set. I don't know. She lived in a cabin on the shores of the Lothian in a town called Bannock. He wondered if she'd even seen him all year. He wondered if she'd even seen him all year, ever since he got sick and ruined her glass eye with his face vomit last Christmas. Merton, no! It's better than ruining it with your bum vomit. Isn't oh. It? <laughs> Jesus, yeah. Merton shouted back, pausing only to take a sip of his drink. Oh, Jack, none of those ideas can ever be true. What we need is fish. And we are going to get some for this trip this adventurous good weather has given. Look at how it looks. Look at how it looks. The blue skies and the warm colored sun make this place delightful. And if we could get our fish on a visit, we can see my aunt at the same time. What a delightful experience. I can't wait to tell my mother what... <laughs> I can't wait to tell my mother what the taste of fish is like. Mm. (laughs) Merton was a simple boy, but he knew at that very moment that he was at least two hours away from making his living as a fisherman. He must have known that this life could get very boring at some moment in that near future. It was this urgency that caused him to leave his job at the pirate shop to try and get some fish. I mean, why is it so fish based? It's, 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 so <laughs> it's super nautical now. The pirate shop. The pirate shop. Have you ever been to a pirate shop? What, is, what does it sell? Um, it sells tricorn hats and hooks. A booty. A booty. He enjoyed working there, selling a variety of wares, some themed around the theme of the pirate shop, which was pirates, <laughs> and some not. The best sellers on the pirate shop were a carnivorous crab with a head full of eggs and a beautiful fish with a ponytail and a tail like a peacock. But his time at the shop had come to an end because his wife called him to say something that was unrealistic about how much money people made from this wares business. The pirate shop was nothing more than a money laundering activity on the coast, one of a number of different business enterprises designed to funnel tax-avoided wealth offshore through the pirate industry to make it look clean and free. I mean, if you were going to launder money, why would you not launder it through piracy? It's the perfect smokescreen. When he found out, he was shocked. How was he surprised? After talking some of it out with a pirate and some friends who happened to be pirates from another country, they worked out that they were being used. They wouldn't stand for this and decided to close down the shop and leave out any illegal goods they had stolen for the local industry to benefit from. The pirates would simply not be able to profit from the misfortunes of these unproven enterprises. Oh, a bit of of pirate exposition. (laughs) Chapter 2. Fruits, seafood, drugs. (laughs) Which is a great British night out. Honestly, yeah. (laughs) It's been a while before we catch up with our two friends. In the meantime, they'd purchased a small and expensive punnet of fresh strawberries from a good shop and a giant bottle of ice to drink as they made the perilous journey to Scotland to get some fish. They were so excited to be on the open road from Australia that they bought an egg on Saturday for such a special occasion. So they were in Australia the entire time? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, the Australia to Scotland route. 
They would only open it up when and if things were looking up, not otherwise. That's what eggs were for. The gang needed transportation, and the pair could think of no better mode of transport than the ferry boat from Tasmania to New Guinea. Unfortunately, this wasn't going to work out for these young and brave friends who would never get anywhere, but for the ingenuity of G.I. Merton, who had a brilliant idea, but lacked anything tangible besides time and money. Merton was quick to offer up. Hey, Jack! <laughs> hey, Jack, I've had an idea! What if we got lucky as the sharks of New Guineans? Wouldn't it be wonderful to be on that lovely ferry boat? Why don't we have that as well? (laughs) (laughs) We could purchase the boat with an open credit card, which was much cheaper than buying it with cash. We can use this card I found on the floor or under our desks. It's a credit card in the name of God. That could be used for a loan for our situation. Ah, okay. The old uh, credit card in the name of God scam. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I have a credit card in the name of God. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's going to be able to pay it off. I assume he can, like, just... It's just a write-off, isn't it, for God? Well, he's a, he has as much money as... As he wants. God. Yeah, he can have his... He can do what he wants. He's omnipotent, and he's got... You know, I've heard his experience score is 999. Truly, Merton had stumbled upon a great idea. And so, with Merton's help, and as promised, they used the card to do what no one else had done yet to be carried on a boat, and actually purchased it on the well-known website, yoyom.com. This episode is sponsored by... (laughs) (laughs) And here's a good time to give a shout-out to our friends at yoyom.com. Thanks for sponsoring this episode of the podcast, guys. For all your piracy needs. (laughs) Uh, and purchased it on the well-known website yoyom.com and that would go as far as to enable them to get their journey underway. The boat was delivered in two days, within a second. A lot smaller boat. (laughs) Finally, they were ready to set off. They had assembled a crew comprised of a lot of the finest cadets for the boat, including three men, five men of skill, and men. (laughs) The crew included Old Man Tom, who had done a shipbreaking job at Kilcannon, as well as additional seamen for hire, which were called on for service duty. Seamen for hire is the name of your autobiography, isn't it? It is, actually. Yeah, I thought so. Their duties included the washing and cooking, and were also required to make the boat go towards a specific area, so that if they wanted the chance to sail, they had a greater chance of getting there before having a problem. (laughs) Which is the most roundabout way of describing they made the boat go <laughs> they made the boat go to a specific area they they drove the pilot and the they did the thing the boat did i don't know what the sailed they sailed the boat they sailed the boat and with a great reliable boat they knew they had a lot going for them and they had taken this into account when booking champagne for themselves and for everyone so to conclude they did the perfect thing they had an extremely good boat the crew was very experienced and there was no reason why this wouldn't improve their fortunes They had done a truly wonderful job of doing something so small and simple, the time and the professionalism that they showed was such beautiful. (laughs) I I see this paragraph has been donated by Donald Trump. They hoisted their flag with the full weight of a thousand people from all over Scotland and raised the main mast up so that people can see the sail and the boat can get across the channel to Scotland. The channel from Australia to Scotland. They could go under the bottom if the... The pole was... The bottom of what? I don't, I don't know. They'd have to go all the way around, wouldn't they? The bottom of the... Of, of, the, the, of, of the map. No. Humpback Jack stood proudly at the top of the mast and said to the group below, 
Now if you're interested in becoming part of the sailing party, please give your name to Jean on reception. She'll add you to the mailing list and you can email me on humpbackjack.towler at hotmail.com.thank-u-jean.aol.net with any comments you want, as we will do a bit of fun with your trip. It's not all hard work. Remember, my door and purse are open from sunrise until 5pm, so any ideas would really help me at a certain point in the future. I mean, I, that, that's that's one hell of an email address, isn't it? I mean, do they have email on yeah. pirate ships? Probably, I guess. Oh, well, I, mean, I they, would hope yes. They probably don't have internet. <laughs> do they have a reception? It's <laughs> <laughs> obviously like, it's, it's just, it's just a desk. I just picture like, yeah, what's your name, Jean? Jean? Uh, the, like on, on reception being like, now what do you want? Yeah, how many pieces of eight do you want? <laughs> Whatever. Do you want your eye patch now or later? Yeah. <laughs> now, our plan for the next 23 days of sailing is pretty simple. There's nothing to have to do except sail with me and the group, have a good time, get a bit pumped, and get the ship back on shore as soon as we can afford it. I have some basic rules that I hope people might understand, so let's go through these now. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, you want to get a bit pumped, don't you? Well, you have to get a bit pumped on a pirate ship. Don't want them getting too pumped. No, not too pumped. Oh, God, no. Rule one, don't make a bunch of mistakes in your life. I hope this one is easy to understand because a lot of the time I get asked these questions about my decisions on everything from my vacations to my health decisions, and it really annoys me because I actually can't help but feel like I'm being blamed by others for their own mistakes, you know? <laughs> I like, he just had to get that off his chest. Yeah, it's not really a rule, is it? Started as a rule. <laughs> it's just started as a into... rule, turned into a rant. Like... Yeah, just sort of like, I'm not your therapist. I'm, I'm your cabin boy. Rule two. When you use the phone, you can dial nine for an outside call and eight will put you through to an office where you can order tea from the nearest pharmacy in Milton Keynes for delivery in an easy manner using your phone. That's great. I, uh, that's very I mean, convenient. It, it's good. It's good. I hate it when someone doesn't tell me what you have to dial for an outside line. Sometimes it's nine. Sometimes it's like oh oh. I mean, and the the the, the pharmacy Milton Keynes thing is actually really useful. I wish we had that at work. Yeah. Well, I'm wondering um, how good the tea is from the pharmacy. <laughs> the pharmacy in Milton Keynes. It it's might not be great. I've not had pharmaceutical tea. I'm guessing it's herbal. Rule three. Make sure your family member is out of town or on vacation, so that we can largely ignore them for the rest of the month. I have better things to do right now than go fishing for new lobster with your friends in Vermont, if you know what I mean. Oh! A euphemism. Strong language. And a euphemism for what? Going fishing for lobsters with your friends in Vermont. If it's, you know what I mean. It, sound, it does sound rude, doesn't it? Oh, it absolutely... Let me tell you, from where I'm from... That's, is that a big... That is... A slap in the face. Oh my god. Don't right. you even talk. I've had friends say that. To, we're not friends anymore. Well, ex friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ex friends now. I don't that's understand drama. how that's connected. I, I I mean, I quite like the make make sure your family member is out of town so that we can largely ignore them. Because if, if you're trying to run a pirate ship and you've got like little Jimmy the cabin boy's mum phoning in because he might have a Veruca or something, like yeah. you don't need that. How many phones have they got on this ship? This, it's well connected. <laughs> this this pirate ship is internet. Well, we know there's 5G, a there's a three G. There's a full switchboard. Jim's <laughs> Gladys. Yeah. Rule four. We always wash our hand thoroughly after washing the other hand to prevent it from touching and getting wet too quickly. 
I'm very fond of that sort of procedure, but understand it just makes things harder. So I'll punish people if they do dirty laundry in front of me by licking, touching, and taking a picture of their face. Um, vigilante hygiene justice is not okay. It's not okay, but I guess in this sort of climate... It's like a serial killer. Like, I'll lick your face, but I'll also take a picture of it for my little scrapbook of people <laughs> whose faces I've licked. Jesus. Because they no. didn't wash their hands properly. Because, oh yes, and I'll show them. I'll lick their face. You listen here. You don't wash your hands, my tongue will be up in your nostril. Yeah, if you don't wash your hand after watching the other hand. To prevent it from yes. touching. Yeah. The final rule is a rule that my parents have passed down to me. Always keep an eye out for the best teapot on the table and keep your hair out of the aisle, as it could be a lot more troublesome in the event of an emergency. Let's set sail. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> but I love that the safety demonstration. <laughs> I suppose you might need to tell a group of pirates to keep their hair out of the aisle because it may form an obstruction in the event of an evacuation at sea. All evacuations are at sea. It's a pirate ship. <laughs> that is nonsense. Absolutely. Of the highest order. And with that, they were off. The sails of the ship and all of the men filled. <laughs> Filled with that wonderful morning air that we now call the wind, and began to move the boat around the reef and towards the island of Madagascar, which is now off the coast of Scotland. Uh, now, well, since since the event, <laughs> <laughs> the ship was travelling in the direction of this island at around thirty knots, or so it said when it sailed there. The crew wasted no time in changing gears as they wanted to save fuel. <laughs> And the boat had a large number of windmills, which were used for cleaning other windmills, which were used to grind iron for making fire engines and also flour. It was an impressive operation, with as many as ten hundred men working in addition to a few robots, working in the workshop and dancing around in a circle to give some inspiration and just lighten the place up a bit. A series of fire engine sounds filled the air, so, <laughs> so that everyone's hearts fell off, and that meant it was time to go over to the food house <laughs> and feed. <laughs> How big is this ship? <laughs> the whole house is the food. <laughs> Multiple windmills making fire engines. I'm so confused. Why did they need that many fire engines? Oh, God. Today's menu was available on a buffet. <laughs> <laughs> you just tried to read that as quick as possible. <laughs> oh, I'm not having a good time. I'll be honest. I've had a lot of sherry. <laughs> Today's menu was available on a buffet And I know what you're thinking No, the food was a mess And it was made from fresh wheat and dried rice Which had been imported by a Chinese bakery And was covered in salt Which did not increase the taste quality The chefs were mainly very well paid snails And it shows in their attitude towards this kind of food they titled the day's meal The Feast of Meat and Dairy. <laughs> there was neither meat nor dairy in the meal, but it was quite well served. It came in a small plate with a nice selection of vegetables such as chit peppers, kiwit carrots, chutney carrots, garlic on the bone, and a bunch of chicken meat and eggs as a garnish. Can I just apologise to myself in the future for having to edit that? <laughs> All the ship was so delighted by the food, and there was a big round table where some of the guests decided to sit, and a little later there was a big party where a group of chefs danced until their legs gave out. The chefs, of course, being snails. 
Oh my oh, god. Wow. Where did that come from? That really took a turn. That was you very surreal. Silly. I have got the sillies. That, none of that made any sense. I really like garlic on the bone. Garlic on the bone sounds disgusting, doesn't it? It sounds absolutely I awful. don't want it. I don't like popcorn garlic. I certainly don't want garlic on the bone. Chapter three, Temptation. Mm. It was nearly two weeks into this chapter, not bad, and the ship had started turning to the sun. The captain was surprised when the tea and biscuits fell out on deck after breakfast and decided not to complain. It looked as biscuity as usual. Jack was pacing in his chair. What? Jack was pacing in his chair and looking intently over the middle of the large deck, which was filled almost entirely with vegetables, to his friend G.I. Merton, who was sitting opposite. Merton had barely said anything since breakfast, though his hands were shaking and slightly shivering. He was obviously scared of all the new foods being served and of the giant sea urchin he could see on the horizon. He looked very alarmed. Urchins were very dangerous animals in this part of the ocean because of their ability to eat plankton and to make a big mess of the ship by exploding with a loud, loud sound whenever they were scared. I didn't even know that sea urchins could do that. Yeah, it turns out they explode. I didn't know that. Merton shouted to everyone on the ship. There is a great storm coming! Watch out for urchins in all the places you live! Don't go near them! If you make them spooky or angry, they will bite the other ships by the legs. And we might be stuck here in the middle of the sea. And they will drown us. Man the guns and we can beat the urchin using custard and jelly. I mean, custard and jelly as a, as a weapon is, is pretty children's book. Like it's, we're, we're not off we've genre. Come, we've come right back. Jack, sitting in a big chair of his own, was suddenly very anxious. He stood up and ran to the gun deck. He knew the urchins were allergic to eggs because they wouldn't eat them. Showering them in custard would cause them to die of starvation, and they wouldn't explode. The jelly was just for show, but it was sure making Jack feel a lot better because he happened to really like jelly. (laughs) He was so ready and so excited that he fell into a deep coma and woke up in a few hours to the sound of sirens. It was time to go. What happened to Jack? (laughs) Do you know when you're so excited you just pass out? The crew fired up the custard gun and Jack was glad he'd made a special effort to wear a suit because the urchins would be impressed. They were a big fan of erotic films and formal dress, so it was sure to cause a real stir. Where's the erotic part? I don't, I don't know. The custard, I assume. I don't know. Merton's eyes widened as he gazed across the surface of the water. There were hundreds of them. It was clear that these animals were so large and so dangerous that they were the dominant predators in this huge lake. They were strangely majestic. The way they swam in the water and had horns made of ice. And the way they would jump up and lick anyone who tried to cross them using their giant tongue. The urchins growled. They had only one eye and it was very difficult for them to see. One of the urchins said... Oh yeah, who wants to voice an urchin? Jack, is that you? I can't see you. You're too far away from me to see. And I might have to just explode and blow myself up. <laughs> I'm a big girl. And I have to watch you. <laughs> I'm a boom boom urchin. With an elephant. <laughs> I'm a boom boom urchin. I'm a boom-boom urchin with an elephant on his back made of dreams. Do you know how big an urchin is? Big enough to swallow a child and a horse and a big sandwich. Probably ham and cheese. Oh. <laughs> I'm a boom-boom urchin with an elephant on his back made of dreams. I mean, there's... 
That's a great quote, isn't it? A bit like I'm imagining like what, what does the urchin look like? It took all of my effort <laughs> to say I'm a boom boom urchin. <laughs> it's just a voluptuous <laughs> voluptuous urchin. I'm sweating. He's a really big urchin. Big Jeez. enough to swallow a child and a horse and a big sandwich. Probably, probably having cheese. cheese. Yeah, that's probably the... If you were going to eat a sandwich. The other urchins were twitching, looking around for the source of the disturbance. They all looked at each other and glanced nervously around, waited. On the ship, the boys were nervous and ready for battle. The ship was not equipped to handle an explosion. Jack gently steered the ship through the cloud of urchins, careful not to hit any. They moved slowly, and the breeze was blowing steadily. They could easily run out of ham if the journey was so slow. The wind picked up, and a gust of wind blew across the ship, surging it towards the left. It made contact with one of the urchins, and the urchin was very excited (laughs) and started to explode. It said, I fell. Merton fired a jet of custard at the urchin's face, causing it to become a dead urchin that couldn't explode anymore, but just be dead. This was a successful urchin killing. A very dangerous one, but it was better than the ship exploding. As soon as they made it past the urchin field, they could see the outline of Scotland. It was unmistakable. The spire of St. Edward's Giant Sausage Emporium, the first store to be opened in Scotland in over 30 years. The giant sausage atop the building, however, had a long, deep, curved, round face with eyes made of eggs. Next to the giant sausage, the outline of Scotland's largest mountain, called Mount Tracy Island. (laughs) (laughs) Ah. It was over 400 times larger than any other bump on Earth and entirely made of gold. Its silhouette was unique. It was exactly in the shape of the famous Jurassic Park logo. Chapter 4. A Mysterious Stranger on Earth The radio on the ship crackled into life like electricity had been given to it. The message said loudly, We, the people of Scotland, hereby invite ye to participate in the next exciting game of football. Merton looked worried. Scottish football was different. For starters, it used a standard 12-sided ball. But instead of having two players in each team, each team was allowed to choose eight other teams from other sports who could also participate in exchange for money or offcuts of meat. (laughs) There were goalposts made of paper and a giant rotating glass orb on which the national anthem, Our God is Lord King of London and they can call me Sir, actually, was performed before the start of each of the five league fixtures per season. Except the third one, where they performed a different song, Sail My Way Through Space, on the clarinet and the trumpet. I don't really know what to say about our God is Lord King of London and they can call me Sir, actually. I think it it, it encompasses sort of (laughs) pro-independence. You can call me Sir, actually. Actually. Jack wasn't worried. He said to Merton, Merton, I'm not worried. I want to play this game with all my teammates. The thrill of the game, the fear when we see each other put on our sword faces, and the dread of losing each team member to disease. Um, I've actually brought a clarinet with me anyway, so maybe let's just try for the big money prize of £100. This was a lot of money. It was worth over £4,000. <laughs> the exchange rates crept up on them there. It was more than enough to purchase the fish they had come for, plus the lemon butter they needed for garnish. It could also buy them breakfast in the future, which sounded delicious. Jack loved space toast. Is that a joke about breakfast in the future? <laughs> Merton was less than convinced. He protested to Jack. Jack, I'm not sure about this plan. It's nice you have a clarinet and everything, but I wouldn't expect any victory if I were you. 
We're not a normal team, so we'll probably lose a lot. There would be bad timing, as we're about to buy some fish, and I think this might distract us from winning the real prize. Delicious Scottish lemon butter. Jack rolled his eyes and continued to the buffet area, only, <laughs> only pausing to collect his eyes. <laughs> I assume he rolled them like Out of his head Like Lord Balls (laughs) (laughs) He enjoyed Merton's company But he could be a terrible negotiator And an all-round cautious duchess He really needed someone to tell him It was going to be okay And make sure everyone felt safe After every little scrap But Jack was far more confident That if he got caught out in a battle He'd probably just survive He just had a hunch about it (laughs) Oh! <laughs> His super powerful back hump was the first tool he needed if they got into any trouble, and he was sure it would be a useful addition to the football team. Jack informed the whole crew that they were going to participate and erected a team of likely lads. In goal, he placed a man wearing red trousers who he'd never met, but he was big enough. He needed three attackers to shore up the defence <laughs> and a number of large ball pushers who would make the goals. He decided Keith and Steve were the most popular names of the boys at lunchtime, so he made them attackers so that everyone would look up to them. There was just time for Jack and his team to prepare for the looming game in the ship's football looming centre. I love that they've got a football looming centre. Well, I mean, it's useful if you're on a ship and there's an upcoming football game. I assume they've also got like a post-football cool-down Center. Yeah. <laughs> Center <laughs> makes it sound like a, a proper, like multiple rooms. It makes it feel like a business area. It like... has its own reception. <laughs> and then there's a series of rooms that it's you can the, book if you've got It's the cool down kiosk. Yeah. No, it's nice. Guys, this is the big one. Now, it's not so dangerous, but it's a good opportunity for us to get on a good foot and prove them all wrong about us. We've got Keith and a number of people you're less than certain about. And of those guys, I reckon we've made a half-decent team who could probably score from anywhere we want. Becky, you're up front and I want to see you do good work on the flank too. Make sure you're doing what a footballer really needs to do with their feet. Running at opponents with a big knife. (laughs) I don't know if that's good advice. This has changed the rules of football. I like it. It's, it's a far more a contact sport than I remember. He's really, he's really got his favourites. We've got Keith and a number of people you're less like, you're less uncertain <laughs> about. Keith must be pretty. Keith's agent must be pretty happy with that. Oh, he's having a great time. The gang were ready to do battle in the arena of King Andrew, a man in a suit who invented the word sports in 1873. He also invented the words soccer, cricket, and horse. They'd given up their clarinet as collateral and were on the pitch when they met their opponents for the first time. Merton gasped. <gasps> it was the most feared team in all of Scotland, the lads of Wengotsham. Their logo was a puma smoking a joint, with one hand clasping a mince pie and the other grasping a taser, which might be the most aggressive logo I've ever heard of. It's it's pretty extra and I, I'm here for it. <laughs> A puma smoking a joint is just such a good start. One hand clasping a mince pie and the other grasping a taser. That should give you some idea of its strength. Merton whispered to Jack. Oh no, they're the most feared boys in Ireland. They're going to knock you out using their brute strength and mind control abilities. They'll kill you until you faint and will never stop until you can't get up anymore. 
I don't like it when someone kills me until I faint. Jesus, right? No. Jack shrugged, flexing his back hump. Ooh. <laughs> oh, that's disgusting. He was ready for anything these pipsqueaks in Wengotsham could toss at him. He was a ship's captain, and he was ready to be the very best at putting the football into the correct place. The referee blew the starting pistol, and the game was begin. <laughs> Almost immediately, the powerful lads ran up and into the stratosphere in an attempt to tackle the players back to shore, and Jack scrambled for the ball. He punted it directly at the boys' nose, but missed and hit them square in their eyes, which cost them a point. Already they were on the back foot. The lads had crashed back to the shore, and the referee's red card was shown to indicate that a bonus point had been awarded. Ooh, that's, bonus point! That's complicated. Okay, so red card means an extra point. Jack stood on a plank as the scoreboard showed the truth. He was on his first of many penalty kicks for giving the opposing team a man rather than a point whilst playing the game. Oh. Okay, so you So can... if you accidentally give the other team a man instead of a point... You have to do a penalty kick. Now, what is... Now, how... How do you give the other team a man? How do you give them a man? I assume you, you get them to get changed into the other team's kit. And they just... You you do a substitution to that team. Okay, so... You it's just send one of your players to the other side. Now, why... So, and that... <laughs> why would you do it? Why would you do that I don't know. I don't know. As maybe a spy. <laughs> The spy in their midst. The game carried on for what felt like an eternity, but it was in fact only three hours and 35 minutes. Not bad. Not bad. All sides scoring and looking dangerous, and each side enjoying the fun of a sport. Eventually the lights grew dim for the rest of the game, and it was time not to waste any more energy on a referee's whim. And the game came down to the final ball. Final ball. The two teams were very close to being a draw, but there was still a strong possibility we may end up playing in extra time. Merton saw that Jack had a plan, but he didn't know what it was. He whispered to Jack. How are we going to defend? You play like an old man with no nerves. What will your plan be to make us stop the opposition and be the best team in the game? I want to win so we can beat up those two old men. He eyed up two pensioners in an Jesus. <laughs> he, he eyed up two pensioners in an elderly corner. <laughs> what is an elderly corner? Well obviously it's a corner where there are pensioners. <laughs> he eyed up two pensioners in an elderly corner and he explained in detail about how he was going to celebrate the win by beating them up by beating them up and stealing their money and their wives. Merton. <laughs> Merton is unhinged. I thought he was better than this, but this is how he winds down. He's just a wife thief. Jack knew this wasn't sportsmanlike, but if it helped to motivate the team, he liked it a hundred percent. The final ball flew into the air, and the two teams chased it using their feet. Both of Jack's feet were moving so fast that their shoes caught on fire from the force and had to be taken into a garage for new oil. Regardless, he went for it, and the team were right behind him. Suddenly, the biggest of all the lads, a welder called Bill, started running directly at Jack, trying to take possession of the ball while simultaneously kicking the goalie in the face. Jack didn't back down, running square at him, much to the ire and disgust of the coach, who felt like he was about to lose his composure. Bill was running directly at Jack when Jack suddenly lunged forward and swung around, revealing his hands full of coins and his back hump. <gasps> 
Bill bounced directly off the hump at great velocity, making a giant sound which was like, bang, boom, boom, bang, my face! <laughs> and with that, Bill was catapulted into every direction possible, from Jack's armpit to Cyprus, from England into Japan, and he even hit someone in Italy and made them fall into a canal. <laughs> All of these collisions meant points, and the scoreboard flashed to confirm what they knew to be true. The Pirate Boys have now scored four and won the Cup of Greatness and the prize money of 20 karat gold. Merton was astounded at the turn of events and exclaimed, Oh, wow! It has happened! We've won a wonderful sport quest, and all because they fought dirty. I'm glad we won. I just remembered he's going to beat up some old people. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's the upshot. I'm glad we won it because my mom was never going to admit that she liked us until then. Oh, that's quite sad. A a troubled upbringing. Maybe that's why he was going to beat up those old men. Truly, the boys had had themselves a very special moment. And in the space of a few days... We saw them finally realise what they wanted when they went to visit Merton's aunt and bagged themselves a delicious fish. The fish was only four ounces and the winner, Jack, was allowed to have one last laugh and he did. It was a wonderful and delicious adventure and the boys sold the trophy to get money to buy wonderful things including an amazing antique car, some gold shoes from Mexico that smelt like soap and a bottle of champagne, non-alcoholic, of course, and a giant bust of Napoleon which Jack was very happy to see had been rendered in exquisite white marble with precious brass plating on his eyes. That would give it quite a, a, a look. eerie effect. I mean, I like yeah. it. The pirate boys were destined to have many adventures in life and in the ocean, and went on to be some of the most successful, daring and adventurous people in the world, and had a great deal of pride with their winning the world's largest trophy for services to mankind at the age of 17. I thought they were 23. I, yeah, I, they distinctly said that they were 23. And that's the end of the story! Wow! <laughs> So the old people definitely got jumped. Oh, God. And they, their wives were stolen. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Their wives were, were stolen. Yeah. What a story. How are they going to share two wives between a team of unknown size? That is not what we want to think about. <laughs> <laughs> I guess they just become property of this ship. They can wait in the football uh, the football looming centre. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, there's... there's There's a a hint of a story there, isn't there? There's a quest, there's a quest. It had a beginning, a middle, and an end, which I can't say for most of our stories. I just don't know if it was the beginning, the middle, and the end from the same story. No, yeah. (laughs) It suddenly turned into, like, a football game. Yeah, like, a good third, like, a solid third of that story was just about football. Yeah, where did that come from? It was sort of like a... You know, like, sports It just came out of nowhere. It just came up over the radio. There was no mention Oh, yeah. Before. Over the radio, it said, there's going to be football now. And everyone went along with it. A random Scottish guy on, on the radio is just like, football! And everyone was like, yeah, that's <laughs> The entire <about> plot was dropped. <laughs> they forgot. They just forgot. Actually, they didn't forget, though, because Merton was like, um, wh- why are we doing this? I'm okay with it if it gets us closer to the fish. But can have I told you about the butter? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was really into that butter. Yeah. So do we think Humpback Jack... Yeah, discovered who he is. I think he learned to love the hump. Well, yeah, because the hump is what made him win the sport, That's true. The, 
the sports thing. If without it, he wouldn't have um, won. Bounce that wife. welder into into Japan. <laughs> into Japan. <laughs> <laughs> and one person in, into a canal. <laughs> yeah, that was secondary damage. I hope a good chunk of the, the points were from that. So, did he explode? Is what happened? <laughs> no, no, no. He uh, he was just like everywhere in the world at once. Jesus. <laughs> He just bounced around forever. He had so much energy, it was just bounce, bounce, bounce. <laughs> it was it was dance, dance, revolution for a bit. But it calmed down, and I assume uh, the welder was put back together by investigators. <laughs> I don't, yeah, the question, was he, like, broken into several pieces? Was he, like, hung, drawn, and quartered? And, like, part of him was in Japan? In my head, that's exactly what I thought he just bounced around, like, I thought he so bounced around fast. like a rubber ball. He yeah. Just, yeah. There were a few bits that were quite video gamey. Yeah, that's true. The urchins, I mean, I would I would play uh, a video game of this. The mm. big uh, the big urchins were like, I thought were quite video gamey because that's a video game thing. Like, I like that the fact I like the fact that they defeated them with custard and jelly. It's, yeah, and it's a combination you don't normally see. No, I mean, it, and again, that's something that a younger demographic is is going to understand. Mm. Like if if we if you swap that for like napalm. That wouldn't be as child friendly, would it? No. I think Maybe. yeah, I think what's interesting is like this is meant to be aimed at children. Yeah. And all the all like the AI's really done is it hasn't changed its writing style like at all. It's just swapped out napalm for custard. <laughs> basically. <laughs> Well, when you, when you put yeah. it like that. But I think that that's most kids' stories, though, isn't it? Like, they're like... You can just swap out... Well, like The Lion King or whatever. I mean, yeah. there was a big chug that was about money laundering and... Like... That's true. Oh, yeah. And I think a lot of the target demographic probably wouldn't understand the money laundering aspect. No. No. But it's something for the... Uh, it's like Shrek. But then I've always said it's never... You know, it's never too soon to introduce your child to the concept of money laundering. Well, you got to learn sometime. Well, I think, I think we've covered... Um, an interesting story. Oh yeah. And I think it goes to show that we you know it can this technology can be used to educate the youth of to, the youth of today and the youth of tomorrow and the youth of tomorrow as you say. Um and I think you know there's a lesson there's a lesson what did you learn? I learned in a pithy way. Um no matter how bad your hump is <laughs> You can always beat up an old person and get a wife. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought you were going to say something actually wholesome. No. I learned that if you're if you're a big boom boom urchin, <laughs> you don't have to be scared. You can not explode if you want. And if you explode, they'll just make you dead anyway, and then you can't explode. I don't think I learned anything. That's that's fair. That is absolutely. That's fair. fair. It's not for everyone, is it? That kind of, you know, learning. You're not going to get something out of everything. Well, there's there's the children's one. Um, if you have an idea for a, a genre of story that you would like turned into an AI version, why don't you tweet us at sleepy underscore computer? Mm. And uh, we we would like to thank Kieran. Oh yeah, thank you, yeah. thank yeah. you for. I'm Kieran. Being... I was on this episode as well. Yes, thank you. Mm. It's nice to have. Some energy in the room for once. Yeah, goddammit. Yeah, yeah. I, I felt very energetic whilst. I nearly passed out, so there's that. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, uh, thank you, and we'll we'll speak to you uh, next time. Goodbye, listener. Goodbye. I love you. Odd. Odd. <laughs> <laughs>